Hello, and welcome to a most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker, a comedian, and a media scholar, professor, party their way through the 80s movies we think we love with these our modern eyes. Uh, today, we are watching 16 Candles, a movie selection from 1984. So, I mean, what's the story? I mean, you got a guy or? Yes, three big ones and they less went blood. Her name is Samantha Baker, and today is her 16th birthday. Fred, she's gotten her boobies. Oh, <laughs> I'd better go get my magnifying glass. They forgot my birthday. Classic. This is the single worst day of my entire life. Universal Pictures presents... <laughs> Score, a direct hit. 16 Candles. The story of a girl who's stuck with a guy who's driving her crazy. Nice manners, babe. And stuck on a guy she's crazy about. Who's Jake? Jake Ryan? Jake's my boy. Jake is a senior, and he's beautiful and perfect. He doesn't even know you exist. He smiles at me and I don't say anything. can't believe I'm such a jerk. You quit feeling sorry for yourself. It's bad for your complexion. You know Samantha Baker? Kids are looking at me a lot. It's kind of cool the way she's always looking at me. Maybe she's retarded. What's happening, the hot stuff? His name is Long Duck Dong. Nothing could shock me anymore. Underpants. Can I borrow your underpants for 10 minutes? Girls underpants. <laughs> Rock and roll rubbish. Everybody in this family has just gone totally at her limits. You guys, you just gotta be cool. You just gotta chill out and just be cool. Just watch me. Why, you guys bang. Unless you take Carolyn home. She's so blitzed, she won't know the difference. Jake, I don't have a car. You can take mine. I gotta get out of here before anything else terrible happens. She's stuck between a halfwit and a heartbreaker. You want a serious girlfriend? Somebody I can love? It's gonna love me back? Pretty intense, huh? Over. Everyone she knows is either on her case. You know you're the one I wanna buy, huh? Or out of their tree. It only happens once in a lifetime. This has got to be a joke. And once is enough. Happy birthday, Samantha. This is getting good. 16 candles. Well, that's essentially the whole movie there. It's just all in the trailer, isn't it? <laughs> um, I am. Um, good night, I'm, everyone. <laughs> I'm comedian Grizzy Lenz, uh, director of NCT uh, Improv. And uh, with me, as always, is uh, Nathan Blackwell, filmmaker, and um, oh, that's all I have in life. Shoot. Aww. I mean, it's not nothing. And uh, with us today is a, a guest I'm very excited about. She is Dr. Shana Hammerman, media scholar and associate director of Jewish studies at Stanford University and the author of Silver Screen Hasidic Jews, The Story of an image. Hi, Shana. Hi, Chrissy. And Nathan. <laughs> hey. 
Uh, Shane is also one of my oldest and bestest friends. And uh, we we went through these high school days together. So pretty excited to uh, be able to at least have that to talk about and relate about. Um, Shana, is this a movie that you watched a lot growing up? I definitely watched this in, let's say, middle school and high school more than once. Um, and mm-hmm. we- I feel like we referred to it a lot in our own lives. It was important to us. But I think it's also really important to note that this movie came out in the early 80s when I was a preschooler. So (laughs) (laughs) it was already a kind of nostalgic experience to watch this movie um, and the other John Hughes movies that we also I feel like quoted and we're familiar with, and one of our friends called herself Ducky from Pretty in Pink. I, there was a lot of, <laughs> in some true. ways, I think we were relating to Molly Ringwald's. Yes, being uh, like Molly Ringwald is still the vibe I'm going for. Um, mm-hmm. Still aiming to be a 1980s Molly Ringwald. Um, yeah, and it was nostalgic, you know, in the 90s as a teenager, especially as a teenage girl, to sort of look back at these. Molly Ringwald 80s movies, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, um, and this one, uh, and try and like sort of make that your high school experience or compare it to your high school mm-hmm. experience. Um, it's it's like one of those internet tests, like which John yeah. Hughes movie are you or was your – that you kind of gravitated towards. For me, it was always Ferris Bueller, which in some ways is it always felt less personal than his other movies. Mm. Yeah, and for me, like, I don't think it was ever 16 Candles. Of all of the movies, of all the John Hughes 80s Molly Ringwald movies uh, that were in the rotation, this was not one of my favorites. Uh, You know, it was definitely Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, uh, Ferris Bueller that had a higher rating um, in my mind. For sure. The Mm -hmm. Breakfast Club um, kind of... It represented every single type that you could find in a high school mm-hmm. and put them all in a room together in this sort of fantasy friendship building way. That was really um, that that was striking. This movie gets lost. Our main character sort of gets lost halfway through mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to know who we're rooting for. We're always rooting for her, but who we're rooting for her to end up with or what we really want as the outcome is not always clear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie gets lost in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> this does, this is, so this is John Hughes' first uh, directorial debut. Um, I think he wanted to do Breakfast Club first because it says it's a very kind of contained movie with just a couple of characters. But for one reason or another, this became his first. Uh, directed feature, um, and I and I kind of see some of the 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 pr- some of the earlier forms of some of the stuff that he really nailed in Breakfast Club, um, and some of the st- stuff in here is like the storytelling and the characterization is is some of it is strong right out of the, out of the gate, and some of it is still a little squiffy. Mm-hmm. I think there. I mean, of all the things that this movie nails. The thing that I can relate to most is that teen girl, high school sophomore feeling of like literally no one cares about me. 
Everyone has forgotten me. <laughs> nobody knows I exist. I'm like, nobody cares. Like, I, I can relate to that. And it, that might be, and the grandparents being total weirdos. And that might be about where, like, the ability ends for me. Uh, I wrote down, ah, the unconditional love of grandparents. It must be shunned. <laughs> There's so much in this movie where she she's just so full of desire and I don't, I think it's desire. That's the thing and not the object of her, her desire. So mm-hmm. does she, does she actually want to have sex with Jake Ryan? Probably not. She's still pretty little. It seems pretty young um, in her behavior and her view of sexuality, but she's, it's almost like she desires to desire to have sex with him or she wants some kind of intimacy and closeness. She wants to be part of something and that's the part that I really related to. Like she just she's so full of wanting, and she doesn't know how to get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because it's not directed. She doesn't really know what it is that she wants. That's what she's working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Brian is nothing. He's he's like literally a blank. He's a blank. He's a handsome <laughs> blank. That's uh-huh. the only. There's nothing- how is he not Matt Dillon? By the way, I, I know, right? <laughs> um. But there's nothing interesting about him there is, except for that he's rich, white, and has a, a very square draw and symmetrical face and a mm-hmm. fancy. Well, and he's rich. I, 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 I think one of the things that that he's that John Hughes starts to work out in this movie and then really makes it kind of like the centerpiece in the Breakfast Club is that he takes some of these high school stereotypes and and kind of subverts them or makes it kind of like the character reveal like you know i i was not um you know you're right there's not much going on with not matt dylan um <laughs> but he does a bit s- subvert the idea of being like the handsome hunk king of the prom who wants romance you yeah. know he says i just want a girl that i can love you know, and that's a subversion from all the other teen movies that this kind of heartthrob character is. Just like a lot of the characters are kind of subversions of what they're originally pre- like the geek or like the the princess, you know. Um, and that really becomes like the main thing in The Breakfast Club, that all these characters are very strongly stereotypes and that it's kind of they're all flipped in front of each other and they kind of learn something from each other. Yeah. Right, and he doesn't quite do that enough in this film. He mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. undo the stereotypes enough, and he doesn't give us enough content. So yeah, that's why Jake feels like an empty vessel. And then Ted, the geek, whatever we're supposed to call him, Farmer Ted. Yeah, he he's so he's such a rich character, and and we're supposed to not like him. This is my big question about this film because. High school me would have been so in love with exactly that kind of guy. I feel like the guys I had crushes on in high school looked like him, were confident and funny like him, danced like him. Um, why is she so repulsed by this guy? Is it about reputation or is it actually the way he looks? Yeah, I think it's I think it is that it's that he is a geek and well she's like very she is totally middle of the road. Um, you know, aside from that sassy hat, which would put her in the cool category, <laughs> and, you know, she's she's just middle of the road. She's nothing specific enough to be um, in any one of like she wouldn't be in any of the Breakfast Club 
stereotypes. You know, in Pretty in Pink, she's a, a, an indie girl. You know, she's into music. She's into fashion. And this, like, the only thing she's into is complaining. Um, yes. Right, rightfully so in many instances. <laughs> but, like, she's not enough of those things to be brave enough or cool enough to be into a nerd you know, or or even a bad guy or bad boy, which like, where are the bad boys in this in this movie? Where is the John Bender of this world? Because um, that's who I'd be into. Um, but yeah, so the older kids like they're into. By the way, like there's that moment where Jake Jake is doing chin ups um, with like someone who's supposed to be like his high school friend or whatever. That guy is mm-hmm. in his forties. <laughs> <laughs> The teenagers in this movie are adults, except for Molly Ringwald and, and Anthony Michael Hall, who are both 15. And right, everyone... how, how old is little baby John Cusack? Uh, I think he was also like a very young teenager. Isn't he so, just so cute? Like John John Cusack and Joan Cusack are sort of the accidental oh, highlight yeah. of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot that he was in it because he's so, such a minor character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Cusack was two years younger than Anthony Michael Hall. Wow. Oh, so he was 13? Oh, sorry, sorry. Two years older. Two years older. Sorry. Okay. So they were they're both until he was 17. Um, yeah. And everyone else is a full-grown adult, which makes it <laughs> really weird when they're partying, right? So, But that's also the thing where you're like, oh, my God, seniors. Seniors, there must always be partying. And, like, at the parties – there's pizza and there's pizza everywhere. And you know, it was a crazy party if there's pizza on the record spinner. Cause that's, that's what crazy parties are, man. It's like, that's also a, a cliche of what you imagine things will be like when you're older, I think. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Maybe people really were partying like that in the eighties and we just missed it. We, we, did, we missed yeah, it. I was never at one of those parties. That's for sure. Nope. Nope. Me neither. Um, but I but I also remember being a freshman and the seniors just look like full blown adults. You know, I remember being feeling such a divide because at that point you're, yeah, you're they're still growing and then they seem to have kind of figured it out. You know, and just being such a, a difference between the the different casts of high school. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. And I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I, think, oh. I, I have a thing to say. I think, so this is John Hughes' first movie. And I think that there's this burden to being the first, which is that, you know, it everything has to be compared to it because it was the first one. Um, just like, let's just watch what happens with our first woman of color vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's going to be compared to it and it's never going to be able to hold up and it's never going to be able to be as excellent as it could be because it has to sort of toe the line in certain ways. So it, it does these kind of radical moves in some ways, just by centering a teenage girl, a real actual teenage girl, um, not like a 25 year old Mm -hmm. Um, and letting us into her sort of really average complainy life um, but then, yeah, it, it, it falls in all these other ways, but then subsequent movies get better and better. And, and then the whole like industry of teen movies 
that becomes what the movie industry is about. It's about reaching mm-hmm. teens, at least for the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, you can tell that he has a very specific and strong point of view and he's insightful, but he's still kind of finding his sea legs. Yeah. Yeah. He's still That's- finding the balance of 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 portraying these characters and a narrative over a feature length. Uh, and, the, you know, there's a lot to like in this movie there's a lot to like and i know that there's there are plenty of people for whom this is not only their favorite john who's movie or their favorite molly ringwall movie but it's their favorite movie uh and there are a lot of people who are diehard 16 candles fans and just like you know are are super into it and there's a lot that's funny there's a lot that's cute there's a lot that's charming um but there's Mm -hmm. a lot that's really messed up about this movie too um starting with it's rated pg it's rated the same thing as like frozen i think yes yeah and it's got (laughs) full frontal nudity and at least one if not two f-bombs within the first 10 minutes I totally had forgotten about that and I was really shocked. It's possible that I watched this on like TNT TV. or something. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I missed the uh, those more late night parts. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think that I must have also seen it on TV or had like a recording of it from TV where you don't see her completely naked in the yeah. shower. You just oh, like yeah. see her taking a shower and understand that the girls are are ogling her (laughs) in the the shower um but so like yeah so when you see like her entire rack it's just like what what it was really took me a step back and even that that moment where she's like they fucking forgot my birthday i'm like oh really we're doing this (laughs) (laughs) well yeah we were just talking about so this this predates the pg-13 rating you know, mm-hmm. and so they had that. I mean, like Temple of Doom, we've talked about this, came out the same year. It's the one that inspired the PG 13 rating. Um, and have way less boobs. Yeah. And, and, but it was this weird thing that keeps popping up in the 80s is, well, it's not rated R. So therefore it must be PG. And so you, you get, yeah. And, and so for a, a, a movie, R, yeah. But apparently, yeah, but, but this was, this was definitely aimed for teenagers. And so you have that difficult question of is, you know, where does it, where does it land on that scale? And so by, because of that, a lot of PG movies during this era are a lot harder than what we would ever see in a PG movie, you know, 10 years later. So I, I remembered after I watched this, that at the height of the me too stuff, right after Harvey Weinstein in 2018, Molly Ringwald actually wrote an article in The New Yorker about mm-hmm. watching The Breakfast Club with her 10-year-old daughter. Yep. And she, she right away, she's like, look, 10 is way too young, but my daughter insisted that she, a lot of her friends had seen it already. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, my adult friends were saying that kids will just kind of let the stuff they don't understand, usually the sexual stuff, like sort of wash over them and they won't mm-hmm. remember it. Which seems true for me when I revisit movies from my childhood. I'm like, oh, damn, that's a sexy movie. I didn't <laughs> yeah. Um, and and she was talking about all of the 
is focusing on this Me Too thing, all of the ways in which this movie is about sexual assault and 16 Candles mm-hmm. really pushes it. Yeah. Uh, that he's going to violate or I could violate her 17 ways, whatever it is that Jake says about his drunk girlfriend. No, that's mm-hmm. actually against the law, sir. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, that you know, I, I understand that teenagers are both horny and horrible, but <laughs> 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 there is so much rape culture in, in this movie uh, in and it is treated the way that it is it's funny it's funny that the hero this perfect blank man is like a hero and desirable because he chooses not to date rape his drunk girlfriend <laughs> and instead gives him gives the girl to someone else like hands her off uh to someone else and like uh, after tricking her into thinking like when he, they do that weird thing where he's like who's that that's me who's yes. who are you i'm him like so she thinks that she's safe and then he's like have fun right you know? and it's not even it's not even that he's an admirable character because he chooses not to date rape her it's that he's bored of that Mm-hmm. He's already done it enough, and now he's like, this other person seems a little bit more interesting. Yeah, this person well, and- I think sparks his interest because he found her sex quiz on the ground. I think that's what is appealing about her to him. And then he says, like, I like how she's always looking at me. Oh god, the narcissism. <laughs> yes, but which is very. <laughs> but I, I so like teenage. Accurate, yeah, yeah, so teenager. Yeah. Um, but I also think like part of the message of this movie, which is probably why it's it meant so much to so many, you know, teenage girls is like, oh, I'm special, even though I'm not really that special. I somehow someday someone is going to look at me and say, you, you're the one who uh, I choose because you're different than everybody else. And this this other girl, even though she uh, seems to have everything you want, she's gross. She doesn't deserve happiness. She is, likes to drink. And she has boobs. Gross. Get her! <laughs> you know? Like, uh-huh. she's, because she likes to drink and party. Which I agree. Like It's really shitty of her to like trash his house. Which is impressive. It's impressive how they trash the house. Right. And (laughs) she announces her fantasy, which is really interesting, that they're the rich couple on the block and everybody wants to party at their house. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what she says she loves when his parents are out of town because of that. Yeah. And I think she's nice. Like, she's not. We never see her do that thing or or, unless I just completely missed it or or deleted it from my brain. Um, But I don't think we ever see her be horrible yeah, she's to, not a mean girl. She's just yeah. popular. She's yeah. not. She and she specifically isn't mean to Sam or Sam's friend. Um, she just wants to drink, and as we all know, if you're a woman who likes to drink, you uh, <laughs> in the eighties, everyone is just like, well, you definitely deserve to get, uh, you know, taken advantage of and possibly like murdered or something, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's gross, and I I agree with you 
that um, when you're a kid and you watch movies that have like problematic stuff, it does sort of wash over you because you don't know what you don't know, right? So I didn't mm-hmm. realize that um, Dirty Dancing was about an abortion until I was an adult. I was like, I really don't get what's going on with Penny, but I guess it's bad. Um, You know, but I think there's enough of this movie to be like, ugh, we probably should have known better. Yeah, are we going to talk about the racism? (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's talk about the racism and possibly the only non-white character in a John Hughes movie. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, it's 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 one thing that does carry over into a lot of his movies is his background, which is a very upper class white Chicago um, background, which he carries over into almost all of his movies. Like you look at any of them and they've got these these double decker houses, you know, really nice cars. And it's seen from their point of view. And it, 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 they don't have people of color or different cultural identities in any of them, really. Right. It's it's that Evanston, Illinois scene. But mm-hmm. there are lots of people of color in Chicago and the South <laughs> um, that, that just, just get totally erased, um, which is really interesting. And the only way that an Asian can exist in this world is as a foreign exchange student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is that was also strange. Just the whole setup for that guy was bizarre. It was, and it's. I think it's so crazy that the grandparents like wanted to have an exchange student at all, but they basically reveal that he's like does the dishes and the laundry and mows their lawn. Oh my god! <laughs> like they sort of imported a housekeeper. Yeah, which is a real bummer. Um, and he's referred to as a Chinaman. Yep, by the little Ooh. brother. Yep. Yeah, and and the other grandparents, they're like, "We found your Chinaman." Um, ew. Uh, yeah, and we also, should note that the actor is Japanese, and that there's a difference. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and 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 um, so he's often called Chinese. Um, he's uh, a, a couple times. Um, yells bonsai, which is Japanese, right. and and the actor himself is actually using a strong South Korean accent based off of a, a friend he had. Yeah, and it's he like only exists in this movie to be a joke. Um, even as to uh, the girl he hooks up with, who is like also a, a weird jokey stereotype because she's like big and and like sort of jock ish right um and it's like oh isn't it funny because he's little and small and asian and she's this big beefy american woman she's gonna like ride an exercise bike with with him her lap that that was so that that scene though you know if you had to because basically that was a metaphor of of teenage sex to where they're working out together and something that you can't show in good taste back then or now underage sex and they're basically working out and it ends with this big climax and even with like a champagne bottle s- squirting into the air mm-hmm. that was yeah, pretty and clever that, and that that girl is the only i mean she's 
she's somebody who understands what her desire is, what she wants. Mm-hmm. And, like she's seeking to be sexually satisfied. And I think so many of these teenage girl films and TV shows set us up to think that um, female sexuality is about pleasing men. It's not about mm-hmm. girls pleasing themselves or women pleasing themselves um, or being pleased by men. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's something that she's actually a character to admire when you watch this now. Um, and I think it's something where we can see some progress in, if you look at some of the media, like Pen15 or however we're supposed to pronounce the name of that show, <laughs> um, like, where there are characters who are struggling with pleasure, but they understand that pleasure is part of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And Molly Ringwald's character does not make clear that pleasure is the is part of this thing that you have sex for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's almost at that age, it's kind of like a gauntlet or a door that you've got to go through. It's like this this thing that you've got to jump over. It's like this rite of passage and you don't fully understand what it is or what it truly means. Right, like know? virginity is this terrible stain yeah these they're they're such little kids i was a late bloomer but i still think yeah me too but but yeah one of the the this one of the things that this movie did do it's like we were talking earlier today that this is a good companion piece with the movie we saw beforehand which was big which really kind of put me into what it was like to be a 12 year old uh so vividly and this, I, you know, watching this movie, I remember the anxiety of being a young man or a young boy just grappling with what does all this mean? You know, I'm like an awkward giraffe who can't seem to get along with other boys, let alone girls and 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 playing things am i supposed to be too forward or not forward enough am i never supposed to talk to the girl i like or am i supposed to talk to her you know it's like just remember just kind of learning the new rules and they're not being any role models around to tell you what to do you know well, and like i think this movie is an example of like a very bad role model in the Anthony Michael Hall character right because it's like you mm-hmm. do her relentlessly you never take no for an answer. You like literally jump on her anytime she lets her guard down. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's how you that's how you get the girl. And that's that's sort of like a John Hughesian sort of cliche is that the nerdy guy who will that's the ducky, right? Like mm-hmm. will, the nerdy guy will never give up trying to have you. Um and eventually he'll be in, entitled to to you, maybe not to you, but to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Eventually, the eventually the girl is flattered into giving in or pestered into giving in. <laughs> giving it her out there. Right. Ooh. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, so I read a, I read a, a um, trivia about this movie that there was a moment in the film where she's having that late night chat with her dad. And he realizes that they he forgot her, her birthday, and she tells him about Jake. Uh, there was a moment where he he realizes she's not wearing underwear. Like he's like, "Where are your underwear?" And they took it out because it was too creepy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. "No, yeah." Uh huh. And uh, 
like the legend was that John Hughes's wife was like, you got to get rid of that. That's that's super mm-hmm. creepy. Um, and it is. It is. Mm-hmm. But a sea of creepy things to point at that and take it out. Okay. Well, there's maybe a few other. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few other creepy things so speaking of the like the racism like they refer to the older sister's um fiance as a bow hunk what does that mean <laughs> like i don't i don't understand what that is well n- normally that's just like a like a isn't that correct me if i'm wrong but isn't that just like it, it's it's like a positive like a strapping man mm. right mm-hmm so it's, yeah, I think it's a compliment, but maybe yeah. that means he's like a little bit vapid. Yeah. And he thought, doesn't at all strike me as a bohunk. <laughs> well, here, um, I, the internet has answered the question. Oh, good. A bohunk is an immigrant from Central or Southeastern Europe, especially a laborer, a rough or uncivilized person. Yeah. So mm. Like a, a jarhead, a bro. I got. I thought it was sort of like a Guido, like like he was an oil, like they call him oily at one point. Like I thought they were sort of like, like he was Italian and and therefore greasy. Like I don't know his parents. Right, his parents weird. are sort of uh, loud and inappropriate in a kind of ethnicy way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vaguely, yeah. vague, so vaguely ethnic that it's yeah. enough to to let you know that it is not to be desired, but not specific enough to like. Oh, I think he was pretty clearly Italian. Okay. <laughs> yeah, especially with the way that his family was portrayed. Yeah. I I also like the thing that has always bothered me about this movie is that like the time to speak up about the date of the wedding being the day after your daughter's 16th birthday isn't on the 16th birthday. It's when you're picking the date. It's like, "Oh, how's November 16th?" Uh well, that's the day after our other daughters sweet 16 well the church is available let's go ahead and book it like (laughs) (laughs) details details was before yeah um and that's just always bothered me like you know they they remembered harry potter's birthday and it was the day before a wedding so yeah (laughs) we've made great strides it can't be done (laughs) right (laughs) um the this, the whole like m- sort of mythology around the sweet 16 i don't really remember my 16th birthday i i don't get why it's such a big deal i mean i got a driver's license um and i got a car because we lived in phoenix and you have to drive everywhere mm-hmm. um and it was a used piece of shit just so everyone knows i wasn't like <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a, Roll- a rolls royce yeah exactly um but yeah i'm not i I don't know why 16 is supposed to be such a big deal. Yeah, I think it used to be a bigger deal. And maybe it's a bigger deal in like the upper class, you know. um, Yeah, the debutante world. Because I remember hearing about it, but I never knew anyone who had something like that, you know. There was an MTV reality show about rich people having 16th birthday parties. Mm -hmm. That's true. I, I I mean I do remember feeling pressure to to do something special and fun for your you know sweet sixteen or whatever. Did um, you? I, and I, don't I, did, it? I don't think I did anything that was special or fun. <laughs> my, but my birthday is New Year's Eve, so right, right. Uh, it's rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That, that's the thing. If if they miss it by a day, then you got to wait till next year. That's exactly right. Um, 
did you guys feel like at the at the uh, like I remember being a kid and thinking to myself that uh, Anthony Michael Hall and uh, Caroline, the girlfriend, didn't have sex, but thought that they like they both sort of thought. Yeah, that they had. it's it's a yeah, it, it's a total gray area. I I I I think they played it so it could be both ways. Yeah, and I think when I was younger, I definitely thought like, oh, they didn't have sex, but they. They both will think that they have. Um, right. Didn't, like, now that I watch it as an adult, didn't make sense to me because he wasn't drunk, right? Anthony Michael Hall wasn't drunk. So why doesn't he remember? Right. That yeah. is the point. And also, why does he travel with his nighttime headgear? Yeah, yes, I did appreciate that about him. I was like, you know what? He's really committed to uh-huh. his uh, oral oral. He's got, a, he's got his day bag, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> as a as a writer it's a tough needle to thread you know mm-hmm. i feel like by them waking up and him not remembering cuz yeah i don't remember him acting drunk but there was so many beer cans in that car you've oh. got the plausibility that he was you know or you've got that time that time gap that we don't know what happened afterwards, mm-hmm. but by him being the one that doesn't remember, it makes him much, much less creepy if she's the one who has a little more of an idea on what may or may not have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was just him that remembers and her, if she, by her being more lucid, then you're kind of playing the plausibility that, that, it was maybe consensual on her part if it did happen rather than her being just a total blank. This trope of people not remembering whether they had sex is so common. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I just, I don't really see. No, I just don't see how that even works. Um, yeah. Especially because he is so obsessed with the idea of having sex. He's so that is it, it consumes his entire world is this quest to get mm-hmm. laid. Um and like Jake puts a six pack in the Rolls Royce with him when he tells him to have fun, but like six drinks isn't enough to black out. It is for um, me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a lightweight. Um yeah, and I like I just thought like if they had ha- if they had had sex, he would have made it a point to remember it. So mm-hmm. maybe he was trying to trick her into thinking that they did. I don't know. I, yeah, it- I, I don't think so. I think he was, you know, I think he was being about as genuine as, as he could be. Mm-hmm. Um I do think from just from a storytelling aspect that the thing that he he wants and he wants he may have done when he wasn't conscious and I feel like it that kind of like t- it took away his quest, you know? Yeah. Right. And, because the thing and, he wants to get rid of is this the stain of virginity. It's not about actually having sex, it's about not being a virgin anymore. Right. And I, I feel like Molly Ringwald I feel like the theme for, for Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall is that they kind of need to chill out. Yeah. That this thing that's so important to them that they're stressing so much over that they're creating their own anxiety. It's really not much of a big deal. And you, you're going to find your hat quote happiness. If you just kind of let go of how things are supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Beautiful mm. Message. Yeah. 
So, so on a on a scale of one to ten, um, you know, one uh, candle to ten <laughs> candles. Sixteen is not an option. I'm sorry. On. Sixteen candles. How many candles would you rate this movie? And I think that this is a tough one. Yeah, I almost have to give an asterisk to it, you know, um, to my rating. But so go ahead. (laughs) I feel the same way. Um, A lot of these older movies, I think about in terms of how excited I am to show my kids these movies when they're big enough. Um, So the greatest thing to happen in 2020 is getting to show my kids Back to the Future. Yes. Um, <laughs> some problematic and, and, elements of its own. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but that gets, you know, that gets the full 16 candles. Um, this one, I, I don't necessarily care if they see this. I think I'll want them to see Breakfast Club. Definitely Ferris Bueller. Um, mm-hmm. But this movie, it's almost just like a an experimental first try for, for the director. And what comes later is better. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't, I think when I was, uh, 15 or 16 myself, I got this wonderful, warm feeling when the two of them are sitting around the birthday cake at the end. It's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it it worked for me in that way. But watching it now, there's no content to their relationship at all. What does she see in him besides his good looks? What does he see in her besides she's the opposite of the drunk blonde girl? Um, they don't even spend any time together. And there he is in this like very intimate romantic moment with her at the end. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just in honor of my younger self, I'm going to give it a seven. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, how many candles do you give it, Nathan? Um, so yeah, so mine has the, the asterisk of if you just took like specific moments you know, like it, it like scenes and sections, um, you know, like the quality of some of the characterizations and things like that. I'd probably have to give it like a 6.5. Um, but if you took the thing as a whole with, you know, it's problematic um, <laughs> sexual moments and racism and 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 um and all that then i'd probably have to bump it down to like 5.5 so i'm i think i'm gonna go way lower than than you guys uh because like shana said the rewatchability and enjoyability of the movies is is what i look for when i'm gonna give something a, a high score like a 10 um you know raiders die hard you know back to the future these are tens um because not only are they infinitely rewatchable and enjoyable and somewhat and timeless um you know that's that's what i look forward to 10 so i would say that this movie everything that it has that's good uh, another movie has better yeah. right if you want molly ringwald you have you know she's better in pretty in pink she's better in a breakfast club all of the, the nerdy character, the everything that is good in this movie is better in a different movie and, and without the problematic <laughs> culture and uh, or without or maybe with even just less of the problematic rape culture and racism. So, like, I give it a four because it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think 
it is something that you can point to and be like, can you believe this shit? (laughs) This is what we were serving teenagers in 1984. Um, But I don't, I would never go to this movie as um, a pick or an example of, of anything in particular because I would pick something else, right? John Hughes movie, pick something else. Molly Ringwald, pick something else. Anthony Michael Hall, Geeks, 16th birthdays even, <laughs> pick something else. There's going to be a different, a better choice. Um, so Right. I just think a lot of those other uh, films and TV shows owe a lot to this, to the president. Mm-hmm. That so I think that, that my score is based on sort of its legacy because sure. you don't have great shows mm-hmm. like um, Never Have I Ever without 16 Candles. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and what growing up, this was far more, um, I guess, like relatable uh, because it, it in some ways was more controversial or fearless or like pulling back the curtain of what of what teenagers actually say and don't. And, and are, aren't depicted in movies. I remember that in terms of it being on TV, it was much more scary and dangerous than a lot of these other safer, softer movies. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, I definitely, but even if you were like going to pick a movie about how horny teenagers are, I'd pick Valley <laughs> Girl, you know, or <laughs> something else. But I completely agree with you uh, a lot a lot of current pop culture is owed by the influence of John Hughes and uh, 16 candles for sure. Um, So what would your deep cut recommendation be? If you know, uh, Netflix will recommend things. If you watch 16 candle, Amazon will recommend things and they're all pretty, they're going to be pretty standard, you know, other John Hughes, Molly Ringwald movies. Uh, So what's a slightly more off the beaten track recommendation if you like 16 Candles, you'll probably also like... Mm. Nathan, you go first. <laughs> okay, so so mine is not super deep, but it's definitely like one of my favorite um, from the teenage experience point of views uh, of recent, which is Lady Bird. Yeah, um, nice. Saoirse Ronan, um, uh, Timothy Chalamet as the dreamy boy. Um, but yeah, in terms of just like really strong writing, directing, and, and a, a very um, strong female point of view. Um, it was, you know, like I said, like 16 Candles reminded w- me what it was like to be a teenager. Um, in terms of the most recent movies, that's what I, I definitely had that kind of feeling with with watching Lady Bird. And, it, it, yeah, it's just a great script. Hmm, good one. Uh, what do you think, Shayna? Um, I think I, I – think- I kind of already gave it away, which is I think Never Have I Ever is the show to watch. First of all, it's about an Asian family. So it centers an Asian teenage girl. Um, she's Indian in this case. And it doesn't shy away from the specificity of what it means to be South Asian in, I think she's supposed to live in LA. Um, and the, yeah, e- each character is fully fleshed out and more interesting. And you know, spoiler alert, she ends up with the nerd instead of the hot guy. But she has to go <laughs> through the like vapid hot guy to get to the nerd. Um, but I, I think Mindy Kaling, who's the creator of that show, gives um, 
she's a big rom-com fan and you know she's really influenced by these john hughes movies and you can see how that plays out in the show so it's not such a deep cut but it's a kind of here's a way to reverse all the bad things Mm -hmm. Um, racism you Mm -hmm. reverse the 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 me too stuff um you make um characters fuller and more complex and uh, the girl ends up with the right guy at the end nice cool so I went a completely different way. <laughs> so okay. the actor um, who plays Jake Ryan, uh, Michael Juckling, was only in like four or five movies ever. Because um, Matt Dillon killed him. Yeah, but I think so. I think he was just like, there could be only one. And they had a Highlander situation. <laughs> um, but he's in a movie that I really love. That's called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Oh, I know mm. that movie. Yeah. yeah. It's, and he is the um, love interest in that movie and uh, has way more uh, qualities to be loved than Jake Ryan. <laughs> so if you're like, yeah, I'm into Jake Ryan, uh, uh, what else? Maybe try Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Uh, takes place in the 20s and it's about a girl whose job it is to jump a horse off a high dive. That's Laura Dern, isn't it? Mm. Am I remembering that wrong? Reese Witherspoon in that movie? It's... Am I thinking? What am I thinking of? Something else? I don't know. What are you? Reese Witherspoon being in the twenties and jumping a horse off a high dive because there's no internet yet. Mm. <laughs> it's possible. I so Chrissy, I have to say, knowing that you are the mother of a teenager, yep, who is a no, she's not close to sixteen. Um, yeah. yeah, but it'll it'll happen eventually. I just kind of wanted to know how you are thinking about it in those terms. So we we watched the beginning of this movie together because I really wanted to know what she would think about it. Um, she loves to chime in on uh, how inappropriate things are at all times. Uh, she is a very social justice warrior. Um, and she loves to point out things that are problematic. Um, but we didn't get that far into it because after like the first 10 minutes when I was like, oh, holy shit, maybe this movie is not appropriate. <laughs> it's rated PG. And I remember watching it when I was her age and like, I'll let her watch it, but not with me sitting next to her, you know, but I am confident that she will absolutely hate this movie and um, just really only be able to focus on the things that are problematic about it. Uh, And I think that, you know, a lot of movies give you that opportunity to like open the door to conversation of, um, well, why was this acceptable then? And it's not acceptable now. You know, when we, um, I'm a gigantic Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and all things Bill and Ted fan. Um, And, they use the three letter F word in that movie quite a bit. And uh, of course she, she hates that and, you know, finds it really disturbing. So we were able to like have a conversation about how words change over time and the um, offensiveness is kind of based on how people respond to it. So, but I don't think that she would find very much in 16 candles to discuss yeah, I think there's something reassuring in that. Yeah, I I think that 
we've we've come a long way for teenage girls. Maybe not far enough, but I think there's just more. We have a bigger vocabulary to talk about their experiences, mm-hmm. and you know things like intersectionality and like various kinds of sexualities. Um, you know, depending, I guess, on where you live, there's a, a that vocabulary is readily available. I'm in San Francisco, everyone, um, yeah. but uh, there's. I think that that television and and movies are offering us more more options for Absolutely. what it means to be a teenage girl. So I talked about Pen Fifteen. Mm-hmm. There's also um, even Big Mouth. Oh, Big Mouth, sure. Um, that's another one that's like I, you know, I hope she will watch it, but not with me sitting next to her. Like, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So there's there's I, there's a lot, I, and even in in the '90s, like we got My So Called Life, mm-hmm. which was amazing, mm-hmm. and also about a redheaded sort of average complainer. Um, God, I had, I had such a crush on her. She's amazing. And, you know, and the, there's the nerdy boy and the hot sort of bad guy with the, you know, the chin. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so it has all of those things. <laughs> and, and like, the, you know, the, the parents who just don't understand um, and the complete lack of, well, I guess Ricky is a person of color. So they did that and they added, so like, even then it had made some leaps. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we do sort of owe 16 candles for letting us, you know, look at media about teenage girls and center the experience of, yeah, I think what's supposed to be an average teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, even in the visibility of like people, in the media having a different experience like the um yesterday the news of uh elliot page coming out as a transgender person like was treated so respectfully um at least Mm -hmm. by the people i follow on twitter so there was a lot of celebration around it um Mm -hmm. there was some fear too in in the announcement that he made but like yeah there's there's been we've come a long way it's really it's hard sometimes to remember that because there's it's true a lot of hate in the world too um but we have we've made strides and i think that hollywood sort of guides us as how to think about things like race and gender and sexuality and it's guiding us in a better direction yep i completely agree um and it is you know looking back at at these movies like it's not that long ago it's not that long ago. Right. Um, <laughs> Eighty four was a lot longer than I than I would choose to believe. But yeah, on a yeah, in in a cultural level, I mean, we can still remember it. So it wasn't that long ago. Gotta feel old. Well, I hope that you guys will uh, call me back on when it's time to talk about eighties sitcoms because if you didn't notice, I talk a lot about. Uh huh. I've turned into a more of a TV analyst than a film analyst uh, in recent years. So, well, there's just so much. It's just so much exciting stuff going on right now in TV. It kind of has taken the 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 vacuum of, um, uh, you know, the the kind of the middle budget features that would be about people. You know, that you just don't have anymore. It looks right. like Chrissy, Chrissy just. It looks like Chrissy just dropped off of our recording how terrible <laughs> so we'll have to wrap up the show ourselves i think we can do that well it's there nice we go. to meet you <laughs> well yeah great to meet you too thanks for talking um so this has been the most excellent 80s movie podcast 
we're, <laughs> we're still recording, so we might as well continue. If she comes on back, we'll record a different ending. But thank you, everyone. This has been uh, Nathan Blackwell. Shana, thanks again for being our guest. Um, and then Chrissy Lenz, who we just lost. Yep, so um, we kind of lost internet and audio there at the very tail end of that. Apologies. Of course, nothing works right, uh, whether it's online or in person, and it's not in person anymore, so just nothing works right. Uh, but anyway, we thanks Shanna for being our guest. You can find out all about her on the uh, episode post on MostExcellentPod.com. Thank you so much for listening, and, uh, you know, head into the new year being excellent to each other and of course partying on dudes thanks <laughs>